Welcome to Serving Up Sustainability. I'm your host, Dominie Hogg, founder of Tried and Supplied, the search and ordering app for sustainable produce. And today I'm going to Wandsworth to meet Pascal Gerard, chef and founder of the world's first and only sustainable street gastronomy project, StreetCube. StreetCube converts upcycled shipping containers into high-end professional street kitchens that are fully sustainable, running on solar power with organic living walls growing herbs and edible plants. They support and encourage independent chefs to cook nutritious food using local, seasonal, organic ingredients. The project was launched with the help of master chef Raymond Blanc in May and is looking for new spaces to install more cubes around London, cutting down on 80% of CO2 in every meal. You can hear the music um, in the in the background, um, and uh, we're just going to find out a little bit from Pascal uh, how he came to set up Street Cube and um, and what 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 it's really trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. So um, as a chef, I, I trained as a chef for twelve years mm -hmm. uh, under the, the 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 care of Patrick Velfour. He was a famous chef, and he trained with uh, Paul Bocuse, who was. Hugely famous in France. In fact, uh, Paul Bocuse is probably known as the godfather of French cuisine over the last 50 plus years. He, he died a couple of years ago at 93. He was still cooking. So Patrick worked with, with Paul Bocuse and um, Patrick trained me. So I, I had a very uh, you know professional start into cuisine working at La Tour in Farnham in Surrey. Um, so I was an apprentice in, back in 1983. And I started doing my City and Guild 706 1 and 2 at college on my one day off a week. So I worked very hard for many years training up. I did my 706 2 at Guildford and I continued to working in the profession for many years after that. And then, um, so yeah, so my, my, my background is cuisine. And then um, when my daughter was born uh, with celiac disease 11 years ago, um, by then I'd done a journalism degree as well. So I, I wanted to investigate why. She had celiac because neither me or my partner have celiac. And yeah. so I wanted to try and understand a little bit more about this food allergy. I noticed that more and more allergies were creeping into our everyday. Yeah. Uh, to the point where we're at today, where you know, you've know you got to be very, very careful about what you give people to eat. Mm. You know, you've got to check what their allergies are. You know, is it wheat? Is it nuts? Is it dairy? Um, and um, you know, it's got to the point now where people are dying. Eating mm. the wrong thing, so, so yeah, Eloise um, inspired me to sort of find out more. And as a chef, uh, I wanted to know exactly what she should be eating. Mm. Uh, quickly found out that there's a link between some of the pesticides that are in food and the oh, rise of celiac disease. Yeah. So, in particular, glyphosate um, mm. has a very close link to the rise of celiac um, okay. and gut-related health conditions. So. Um, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, etc., and another diverticulitis, mm. celiac disease, all gut-related. Uh, and there's a direct link with, with glyphosate, uh, which is now being recognised and being banned right. in lots of different countries. And is that one of the reasons it relates so closely to wheat? Because glyphosate is one of those uh, pesticides used a lot on wheat? Or... Yeah, well, glyphosate is the most commonly used pesticide in the world. So 99% yeah. of fruit and vegetables have glyphosate mm. uh, in them or on them. There's no regulation as to how much glyphosate you can use mm. or when you can use it. So uh, subsequently, you know, it's one of those things that the more you use, the more you have to use. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and also with 
GM crops mm. um, that are almost designed, you know, only to work mm. best whilst using glyphosate. Yeah. Um, you know, the company that own both of those, you know, Monsanto mm. and now Bayer. Yeah. Um, it's, for me, that's looking a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Uh, not, I'm not very comfortable with that. So, mm. for me and for Eloise and for other people with allergies and, and mm. uh, gut-related health conditions, uh, you know, I realise that eating organic food is is the safest way. Yeah. So, in order to also to, to tackle, you know, our, our public health like obesity, childhood obesity, diabetes, mm. you know, heart disease, you know, and other things like ADHD. Mm are all linked to the industrialization of food systems yeah. so you know the one solution there uh, is to use organic ingredients but you know again we're looking at higher costs you know um, most most organic um, ingredients are 20 percent higher yeah um, but the truth truth is is that non-organic ingredients are artificially cheap mm. you know and we pay the price in our health and we pay the price in the cleanup yeah. Of, of cleaning the, the soil of those chemicals um, and so really it's a false economy what we should be doing yeah. is trying wherever possible to buy organic uh, so we we instill that in all our chefs at Street Q uh, that they must use local locally grown uh, ingredients organic ingredients that cuts out plastic cuts out on a waste mm. and it ensures that the uh, the ingredients and the food they eat is a lot safer um, and a lot, uh, a lot more healthier for people. Um, so yeah. Um, what, what do you think that um, there's anything that the government can do to try and readdress re the um, the difference in costs between organic and, and conventional? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, yes. What, what, what would be your kind of? Suggestion? Well, they should subsidise organic farming for, okay. for, for one thing. They should be subsidising. And they're not doing that already. I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, they should be subsidising the non-organic farms to, to switch to organic because it takes several years to, to clean yes. the soil. <laughs> it's a long-term investment, uh, yeah. organic farming. Um, uh, but once you've got there, I've heard from farmers, they actually make um, a better margin on their products because mm. they're not spending so much on their um, on, on the actual chemicals to Well, to yes, I mean, them. you know, and the more chemicals they use on their soil, the, mm. the more they're killing that soil. <laughs> yes. You know, so eventually it will be utterly useless, yeah. worthless and, soil. I guess it's a little bit like an addiction in a sense because you have to keep yeah. on using more. Yeah. The worse the Just soil becomes, the more, the more you chemicals you've then got to buy. Absolutely. So, and um, the runoff, you know, the, the, you know, the, the damage that it causes mm. to the microorganisms and, yeah. you know, um, our pollinators, our bees, yeah. our butterflies, you know, the monarch butterfly, in fact we've got the monarch butterfly on the street cube here, oh, is yeah. uh, a heavily endangered species. Uh, on the on the other street cube mm. here, we've got uh, the bumblebee, which is yes. a, a, an endangered species. Mm. But we've got our living wall on the side here of the street cube where in, in the spring and summer, mm. uh, the oregano flowers beautifully, mm. these white flowers, and bumblebees love oregano yes. for some reason. Uh, so it's it's awash with bumblebees mm. in the summer. Wow. The yeah. It's fantastic. So, um, yes, I think often it's about knowing what, what to, which plants to grow to attract insects. Um, there was yeah. an interesting article recently uh, by the Prince of Wales, actually, around how um, the oak tree is associated with 300 insects. Um, the horse chestnut is associated with something like only 15. Um, and uh, the rhododendron, which is uh, a non-native and invasive species, is associated with none. Right. So when we're 
we're learning what to plant. Well, the Douglas fir is another one. Oh, Douglas is it? fir, okay. yes, which yeah. is an invasive species. Yeah. Uh, was used primarily only for the London building yeah. zones. Yeah. Um, we uh, there was several hundred acres planted in Dorset. Yeah. Um, one of which was the, the Conniger coppice in Dorset. Okay. Which had thousands of indigenous varieties of trees. Yeah. Which were chopped down. Yeah. To make way for yeah. for Douglas fir. Now we've chopped that Douglas fir down. Okay. And we're planting new trees, indigenous trees ah, like oak okay. and beech and birch yeah. and willow, all those yeah. native varieties. And we use that Douglas fir to make that living mm. wall. Wow. So that living wall is made oh, out of Douglas fir. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a really interesting story. It's, uh, it's completely sustainable. Yeah. Um, and it's completely weathered, so there's mm. no creosote, there's no formaldehyde, there's no chemicals yeah. in that wood. Yeah. So um, that living wall there is just got organic earth. Yeah. And Douglas fir organic tree. Okay. 70 year old tree. Right. And then edible herbs. All those yeah. herbs are edible. Okay, interesting. Even the strawberry. Even the strawberry, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just tell me a little bit about your um, relationships with the suppliers, how you go about finding them, um, and how you encourage sustainability in the chefs that work with you. Well, for starters, we, um, you know, we're getting known as a sustainable brand. You know, uh, we have the sustainable development goals um, icons around our logo. We mm. had to apply to the UN for that, um, and uh, we had to sort of jump through a few hoops to, to get that permission. But mm. you can see around the logo, there's the 17 colours of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. I won't ask you to name all of them. <laughs> You're going to test my knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, we started. We start off by announcing the fact that mm. we're only looking for sustainable-minded mm. chefs, and and you know vegan chefs, for example. I mean, you don't have to be vegan. You mm. know, we still have a place for meat in our diets. Mm. You know, vitamin B12. We need that. Yeah. You know, and our soil needs that compacting mm. that the, only the animals can provide, and mm. the fertilizing that animals can provide. But what we need is is animals treated with with better conditions, you know, mm. more humane, um, more um, sustainable ways of looking after the animal. Yeah. Um, you know, what we don't need is to be chopping down any trees, like uh, it's happening in the Amazon. Mm. The biggest driver of deforestation is cattle grazing, mm. and the biggest driver of cattle grazing is is that we eat too many hamburgers, mm. too much meat. Yeah. So really, that's that's where a lot of this information is coming from about cutting down on meat. Mm. Is that um, well, the resources used and the destruction of the Amazonian rainforests. Mm. Um, I don't know if we use a lot of um, South American meat in the UK, but it is available. Mm. So there are a lot of outlets that, that probably do buy it, but um, certainly we don't. We don't have any beef uh, on mm -hmm. our menu at all. So yeah, when the chefs apply, they already know what they're applying for. And then we, we ask them to complete a sustainability questionnaire and we ask them for a sustainable policy. When they say, what's that? Then it gives us a chance to say, well, this is what this is all about. You know, mm -hmm. uh, we, want, we want you to observe zero waste. So before you even get considered, you've got to be zero waste. Mm -hmm. Have you got a solution for the carrot tops and the carrot peelings and the potato mm -hmm. peelings? What's your solution with that? Mm -hmm. Some of them come back and say, what are you talking about? Then that gives yeah. us a chance to start the conversation. Um, zero waste, zero plastic. Yeah. So we say, look, we can't sell any food if you're using plastic containers. We insist yeah. on using biodegradable. Okay. Ideally, 
uh, that's why we developed the Street Cube Tiffin Box. The Tiffin Box is a, a three-tier stainless steel food-grade reusable, recyclable lunchbox mm -hmm. that we sell to people. Then when they come back every time with it, cleaned up, we give them a 10% discount on, on the food for life. So we're selling quite mm -hmm. a few of those at the moment. But yeah, yeah so the, the chef applies for operating the Street Cube under those terms and conditions. Okay. And then we, we, we ask them to observe organic suppliers. So we mm. put them in touch with a lot of organic suppliers that we already you know, have relationships yeah. with. And then we advise them, or Ollie advises them on how to tweak their menus to be more sustainable. For instance, these guys were not using uh, organic uh, chickpeas or fava beans in their falafels, and now they do. Right, yeah. Not a massive change. But it's a significant change because you know, they sell a lot of them. Yes. And it's a start. It's now it's, yes. it's into their heads. So you know, organic, sustainable. When we when we first opened here in in, in May, um, our operators that came on board at the time didn't. I I got the impression didn't fully respect the sustainable position that we yeah. wanted to instill. And for them, it was a bit of a joke. Until more and more interest. I've got more and more customers mm -hmm. interested to know where, why they're sustainable and where their ingredients yeah. come from. <clears throat> They've left us now to open their own fully sustainable restaurant. Yeah, so it's a fantastic training that you're giving them effectively yeah. because a street food is often the starting point for it a is. chef in their career. And it if is. they get that sustainability training yes. from someone who really understands right at yeah. the start, yeah. then that's going to make a huge impact Absolutely. on the, uh, you know, the next Absolutely. generation of chefs. Well, we demonstrated to them that it's got value mm -hmm. because more customers were coming mm. to them and asking you know oh you know i prefer this like the, yeah. the bean tagine because it's vegan it's yeah. organic it's made with british grown pulses yeah. impact of zero yes you know and benefit of 100 yeah. percent because it's nutritious yeah. great nutrition for the soil for the for the gut you know for yeah it's a fantastic product ah there you go he's got his tiffin box fantastic <laughs> it's working it is working yeah, yeah it's great and we had someone earlier today asking for organic um you know is is it organic um yes. earlier today when they yeah. were ordering yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so look i mean it's working yeah it's the vision i had mm. when i started this up was that look if we can't get the people to come to the restaurants yeah we'll take the restaurants to the people <laughs> and we'll put them right in the middle yes they can't miss them yes they're crossing the road here and in fact if unless and they're covered in herbs as well, so you can't you can't miss them. You can't um, miss them. In the middle of London, that's that that's um that really sticks out. So solar powered. Okay. So yep, yep. I, I could give you a leg up, and you can have a look. But it's got solar panels <laughs> on the roof. <laughs> yeah. So there's no gas, no emissions. Yes. So we're not cooking with gas. Yeah. We're cooking with electric. Yeah. And and the the panels power those lights, mm. and they power the fridges. Mm. Um, and what, what is your um, uh, plans to expand? So we're currently we're, we're, we've got two of these street pubes in, in Wandsworth yeah, and by, by, the, by the town hall. We've got the third one coming. Yeah. Um, what are your plans for next year? I want 100 street cubes. <laughs> <laughs> That's my target. Seriously, 100 street cubes. Uh, You're going to so build I, a street cube empire what in I West am. London. What, yeah. I, what I'm going to do is give street cube into the hands of the chefs. I'm going yes. to make street cube a franchise. Yeah. I'm going to put it on wheels. Oh, okay. So that they can tow it with their with their electric four x four. Aha! Yeah. The Jaguar I Pace, perhaps, <laughs> might come in handy. Um, or the um, 
the Tesla are making a 4x4, I think. Are they? 500 miles, I think it does. Okay. 30 grand, apparently. Okay, interesting. So, yeah. So, I, I want to provide the street cube as a mobile option. Oh, right, okay. So that the chef can take it anywhere mm. with him. Yeah. That solar power would work. Mm. They'd be able to cook anywhere. Yeah. No. I want to see an end to the, the food truck which is running on petrol. Usually they're right. 30, 30 yeah. 40, 50 years old. Mm. They look beautiful, they're Citroen H-wise, but they're not sustainable. Mm. But they're hugely expensive as well to maintain the insurance, the upkeep, yeah. the servicing, petrol. Mm. Yeah, the street cube, it's basically it's the same for, yeah. say the same, I mean, it's built it's to last. It's just a normal car, but with a, with a street cube on the back. A street cube on the back. <laughs> I mean, these have gone across the, 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 the Pacific and the Atlantic, you know. Yep, they ought they can, to be able to manage across London. They should, they should, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, fantastic. Um, looking forward to, to seeing that develop over, over next year. So um, thank yeah, you yeah. very much. Awesome. Jessica. You're welcome. Thank you very um. much. You've been listening to Serving Up Sustainability. If you'd like to find out more, you can follow Pascal on Instagram at streetcube underscore street underscore cuisine. To stay updated with future podcasts, Follow us on Twitter at tried underscore supplied, or you can find me at Dominie Hogg. Thanks for listening. See you next time.